This episode is brought to you by the Worth Your Time podcast, where your host, that's me, Erica Anderson, brings you unique and interesting conversations with Christian women working in the intersection of faith, politics, and culture. See you there. This is Troy and Joel, and you are listening to Revive Thoughts. And when the people saw what was done, they came together and wondered at the miracle, saying, He has done all things well. Every episode we bring you a different voice from history and a sermon that they delivered. Today's sermon was preached by Johann Tauler. It's technically titled Second Sunday for the Twelfth Sermon after Trinity, but we're probably just going to refer to it as uh, He Makes the Deaf to Hear. That's kind of the essence of the sermon. It was preached in the mid-1300s, likely in Strasbourg. Joel, I am very excited about this episode that we are doing of Revive Thoughts. This is honestly just, if nothing else, you could say it's a great piece of history, and it's amazing that we can even make an episode like this. When we were brainstorming and talking about the kind of shows Revive Thoughts would be, I mean, I remember saying I always wanted to do an episode imagining what it would have been like to be a priest trying to preach and help people during the Black Plague, um, just this idea of this like almost end-of-the-world style disease that attacks people and that they would have been going to the church looking for comfort. And I always was like, what would it have been like to be a priest or a preacher dealing with something like that? And that's what this episode is. This is an episode where we're looking at a sermon from someone who lived exactly in that time period. He would have seen the black plate come and go. And even though he doesn't mention it in the sermon, you can still kind of see his view of God and how he used that to comfort the people that he was preaching to. Troy, today we're going to start off talking a little bit about the history of Towler, and then we're going to go back and look at some of the controversies. When you go back this far on an episode, someone that is this far removed from us in history, there's always controversies. He was born in 1300, and he would die at the age of 61 in Strasbourg. Uh, he was deeply influenced by a man named Meister Eckhart, and he decided to become a monk. He's spent some time studying in Paris, we think, but he definitely comes back, and, and the most of his ministry is in Strasbourg there. Now, before we get too deep into the history of Johann Tauler, I think we have to go back into uh, the time itself. It's 700 years back. I mean, remember that this is before Martin Luther. This is before John Huss. This is before the printing press, which is actually invented in Strasbourg. And the city that they are in is really interesting for its time. Uh, during Johann's life, there'd be a huge war between two rival families to control the city, and a, a big civil war will erupt there. And as an influential preacher during that era, I, I am sure that he would have been stuck in the middle of something like that. This city would also become famous for having one of the worst pogroms in European history at that time there. Remember, this is the Black Plague. It's spreading uh, throughout the people there, and... People thought the Jews were poisoning the wells there, and so between one to two thousand Jews were going to the stakes to be burned, and uh, there was severe restriction put on what the Jews could or couldn't do, uh, how they interacted with taxes, and a lot of other just bad things. Uh, and this all again starts. This is all going on while uh, people are dying of this disease. 
And so we need to focus on this disease too, because this is, I mean, central to part of this story that we're telling right here. The Black Plague, and it's originally, you know, the scientific name for it, the bubonic plague. Uh, if you remember from history class, it's a disease that spreads uh, due to the fleas on rats. Europeans did not know where it came from, but it suddenly just hit their cities and caused this humongous amount of life lost. Uh, the estimates are close to one in three Europeans died, and in some countries like Spain, it was a lot closer to half half the population. Could we imagine, I mean, if tomorrow a disease started spreading and within a year, you know, some countries were half their population, it would feel like the world was ending. People died of it very quickly. It worked very fast and it caused mass panics, mass hysteria among the people. And people were understandably looking for answers, looking for guidance. Uh, so it's not surprising that many of them turn to kind of more mystical answers. When half the population, even some places, 60% of the population is dying of this very painful disease, horrible and disgusting, the people who were on the front lines of these battles were the priests. These guys would have been doing funeral rites, they would have been visiting homes, they would have had to do last prayers, confessionals, and there wouldn't have been enough doctors, so they would have been running around doing so much of that help. And this actually caused the priest to die at a much higher rate than the average European um, would die of it. Yeah, I, mean, I can't imagine the, you know, the human toll of, of just being a priest. It's statistically 45% of priests died during the, the Black Plague, which is more than just the average death rate in Europe. But I mean, imagine going from room to room and, and reading last rites, talking to people on their deathbeds, and, and dealing with families, grieving people, scared people. I can't imagine how exhausting, how, you know, just the emotional tolls that that would weigh on you, all while knowing that, you know, your, your, your life is on the line, that you could die at any time. This played a huge effect on the church uh, forever afterwards as well. So many priests died that the process of becoming a priest had to change to get them back out there. The Pope needed uh, these priests to be out there doing the confessionals and the rites, but there wasn't enough of them, so they had to kind of you know change the qualifications. And the new guys became a lot less scholarly than the ones before. You know, the old track of being a monk and learning all this text, you didn't have time to do all that when there are people dying every single day. And these new guys came in, and the Catholic Church would start to have a lot of problems with these guys. And a lot of the excesses and the things that go wrong for the Catholic Church afterwards, it's, it's, uh, it's multiplied by this giant priest shortage they have during this era. But Tatler stayed in Strasbourg until his death. He preached, he did his duties, and he never stopped comforting people. Uh, he was known to actually draw pretty big crowds when he preached sermons. They called him the fiery preacher. Uh, his own sermons would actually be highly approved of and talked about by Martin Luther himself, uh, who thought they were amazingly practical and useful. Now, some people have trouble with Towler's theology. He was considered a part of a group called the German Mystics or the Rhineland Mystics. He was one of the more famous of this group. And history has gone back and forth on these guys. The Reformers actually quite liked them. They kind of considered them precursors to the Reformation. And then they kind of went back and they were not considered great. And then the 1800s, um, a lot of the guys in that era really championed these guys too. They were big fans. And then they kind of gone back. And now there's actually a resurgence of mysticism in our day. It goes back and forth on whether these guys are considered good or bad through history. And they're, they're not perfect. There's a lot of transcendentalism. There's a lot of kind of almost Eastern mistrust of the physical world around them and this idea that you have to silent all your thoughts to hear God. There's stuff in there that we wouldn't uh, consider, you know, theologically accurate today. 
Yeah, some accuse Tyler of being a universalist or, or a pantheist. Uh, historically, he was viewed quite favorably by the Protestants. Again, Martin Luther seemed to really like him. Uh, it's something that you know we come across with a lot on this show. Once you get uh, into history so far back, where do you draw the line between the men, the sermons, and the era they lived in? One thing that is pretty much agreed on by everybody, though, is that he believed that you could not reach heaven without the grace of God and without Jesus Christ being a part of that walk. In this sermon, he talks about how all of us are deaf and we're unable to understand the words of Christ. In fact, that he even at one point says the devil has a, basically a block in your ears. And even if you were to try really hard within a moment, you would just go back to being deaf and unable to hear. But when Jesus Christ opens our ears and he gives us that ability to speak, we are able to do more than we were before. It is through that miracle moment of Christ, and it is Christ's miracle that allows us to know who he is and to hear his voice in this world. Mark 7:37. He has done all things well, He makes both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. We read in the gospel for this day that as our blessed Lord was going from one place to another, they brought to him a man who was born deaf and dumb. The Lord put his fingers into the ears of the deaf man and touched his tongue with his spit and said, Be opened. And when the people saw what was done, they came together and wondered at the miracle, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Children, it is important to us greatly to mark what it is that makes men deaf, like the man in the gospel. From the time that the first man opened his ears to the voice of the enemy, he became deaf, and all of us after him so that we cannot hear or understand the sweet voice of the eternal word. But we know that the eternal word is so unutterably near to us inwardly, and the very principle of our being that not even man himself, his own nature, his own yachts, or anything that can be named or said or understood, is so close or planted so deep within him as the eternal word is in man. And it is ever speaking in man, but he can't hear it by reason of the sore deafness is his condition. Whose fault is this? I say that something has covered man's ears and stopped them up so that he may not hear this word. And his senses are so numb that he has become a fool, not knowing his own self. If he desired to speak of what is within him, he could not, for he does not know how it stands with him and he can't discern his own ways and works. The cause of this is that the enemy has whispered in his ear, and he has listened to the voice, and he has grown deaf and foolish. What is this most hurtful whispering of the enemy? It is every disorderly image or suggestion that starts up in in our mind, whether belonging to your creature likings and wishes, or the world and the likings there, whether it be your wealth, reputation, friends, or relations, or your own flesh, or whatever it may be that lays hold of your fancy, making you to like or do something. Through all these he has his access to your soul, for he is ever at hand. And as he marks to what a man is inclined inwardly or outwardly, what he likes and dislikes, straightway he lays hold of it and attacks him with that weapon, and suggests what agrees with that man's inclination, and pours into the ears of his soul all manner of imaginations concerning that thing that the man may not be able to hear the eternal word. If the man instantly turned his ears and and mind away from the enemy, the assault would be easily repulsed. But 
as soon as he opens his ears so far as to dwell upon and be seduced by temptation, he is already nearly conquered, and the struggle is at its hardest. But as soon as you have bravely turned your ear away, you have nearly prevailed. For this enables you to hear the inward voice of the word and takes away your deafness. Not only worldly, but also religious men are liable to this deafness if they make the creature their idol and aim and their hearts are possessed by it. The devil has marked this and suggests to them the desires of their imagination for which he finds them especially inclined. With some, their ears are stopped up with their own inventions and the daily routine of habit with which they go through certain outward acts, learnt by means of their senses. All this dulls a man's hearing so that he cannot apprehend the eternal word speaking within him, nor in any wise way understand what it says. It is true, however, that we ought to maintain the habit and practice of works of piety, though without a spirit of self-exaltation on account of them, such as prayer or meditation or the like, in order that our sluggish nature may be aroused into vigor, our minds raised on high, and our hearts allured and kindled. But there must be no boasting of our own, but rather our ears must be left open to listen to the whispers of the eternal word. Let us not be as some obstinate men who never go forward, but to the day of their death remain standing on their outward customs, seeking for nothing further. And when God would speak to them, there is always something that gets into their ears so that his word cannot be heard. Children, at the last day, when all things come to be laid bare and open, it will be an everlasting sorrow to think of the endless variety of these things that have come between us and God, and how we have been entangled in mean bondage for our own ways and habits. Now the word is spoken into no man's ear except he who has the love of God. For Christ himself says, If you love me, hear my words. On this point says St. Gregory, Will you know whether you love God? Take note when cares, troubles, or sorrows overtake you, from within or from without, from wherever they may come, and weigh down your spirit so that you do not know which way to turn, nor what it is to become of you, and can't find counsel and are outwardly in a storm of affliction, lost in perplexity and sore distress. If you then remain out inwardly at peace and unmoved in the bottom of your heart, so that you do not in any way falter either by complaint or in word or work or gesture, then there is no doubt that you loved God. For where there is true love, a man is neither out of measure lifted up by prosperity nor cast down by mishap. Whether you give or take away from him, so long as he keeps his beloved, he has a spring of inward peace. So, even though you outwardly grieve or weep downright that you may well be borne out, if only your inner man remains at peace, perfectly content with the will of God. But if you do not find it so with you, then you are in true death. And you are in truth deaf, and have not really heard the voice of the eternal word within you. Further, you may try by this test whether you have the right sort of love, namely whether you have a lively thankfulness for the great benefits which God has bestowed upon you and all his creatures in heaven and on earth, and for his holy incarnation for all the manifold gifts which are ever flowing out from him to all men. And this thankfulness will comprehend all men, even as it springs from love to all. Whether they be clergy or laymen, monks, nuns, or in whatever condition of life they may be. Or whatever be their conduct, you will cherish an honest, true love for them, and not a concealed self-love or self-seeking. This real, universal love is a source of measureless benefits. Know, you children, that where men are true, glorified friends of God, their hearts melt with tenderness towards all mankind living or dead. And if there were none such on the earth, the world would be in an evil plight. Moreover, you will let your love shine forth before men, 
imparting to them of your substance and giving them comfort, help, and counsel. It is true that you must minister to your own necessities, but when you have nothing to spare, your love should still be lively, wishing that you had more to give and ready to do the utmost of your power. These are the true signs of love and that a man is not spiritually deaf. Now when our Lord comes and puts his finger into a man's ear and touches his tongue, how eloquent will he become? O children of this wondrous things might be said, but we will now consider the seven gifts of the Spirit given to men through his touch where the ears of the mind are opened. First, it is given to him by the spirit of fear, which has power to rid him of all self-will and teaches him to flee from temptation and at all times to shun unruly appetites and desires. Next is given to him the spirit of charity, which makes him sweet-tempered, kind-hearted, merciful, not ready to pass a harsh judgment on anyone's conduct, but full of tolerance. Thirdly, he receives the gift of knowledge, so that he understands the meaning of his inward experience and thus learns to guide himself according to the blessed will of God. The fourth gift is divine strength. Through this gift, such divine might is imparted to him that with Paul it becomes a small and easy matter to do or bear all things through God who strengthens him. The fifth is the gift of good counsel, which all those who follow become gentle and loving. Lastly come two great gifts, understanding and the wisdom of insight, which are so sublime and glorious that it is better to seek to experience them than to speak of them. That our hearts may be open to the truth, that the eternal word may be heard in us, may God grant us. Amen. One thing that stands out to me in the sermon that I just love is he goes, basically, if you want to kind of test yourself, take a look at how you're doing, he just says, where is your heart? Are you thankful? Are you grateful for the things that God is doing for you? If you're living a life of gratefulness and thankfulness to God and your life is showing that, that shows how, if you're listening to that eternal word and if you're able to hear what he's saying to you. But if you look at your life and you're just seeing kind of a, a complainative, bitter, almost like the Israelites attitude in the wilderness, it's something you need to stop and think to yourself, how much am I listening to God in my life right now? Yeah, I like it because of how relatable it is. Who who hasn't been there? Who hasn't been distracted by life, distracted by your work and by your friends? Uh, and you get going through life so much that you, you slowly don't realize that God is no longer a part of your life. You know, he he calls that your ears being stopped up. You 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 can't hear God's voice any longer. And and I think that's something that's incredibly relatable and incredibly applicable. And I think his, his challenge to have God unstop your ears so you can hear his voice guiding you uh, is one that I can definitely relate with. Thank you for listening to this episode of Revive Thoughts. Today's sermon was narrated by Jonathan Thede. Jonathan hosts the Book It podcast, which reviews Christian books. Check it out in the show notes below. If you enjoyed this episode on Towler, please visit our website at revivethoughts.com. There you can find the transcript for this episode and all of our episodes here at Revive Thoughts. Make sure to subscribe so that you can listen to other episodes that we have done. A lot of great sermons in this series, and you want to go definitely check those out. Also, make sure to subscribe so you can hear future episodes as they come out. If you enjoyed this and you like what you're listening to, uh, let a friend know. Tell them through a text message or a Facebook message or however it is that you get out there and talk to people or just talk to them face-to-face and let them know what's going on at Revive Thoughts. This is Troy and Joel, and this is Revive Thoughts.
This episode is brought to you by the Worth Your Time podcast, where you'll hear from Christian female entrepreneurs, politicians, ministry leaders, authors, athletes, CEOs, and more. I'm Erica Anderson, mom of two, writer, and host and creator of Worth Your Time. I created this podcast because I wanted to hear from more women like me who were interested in the intersection of faith, politics, and culture. How do we navigate the choppy waters of partisan politics? How do we engage with culture honorably as Christian professionals? I know you don't have a lot of time. And that's why I make every second worth it on this show. You'll hear from women that aren't on every other Christian podcast, and we get really real because I don't know how to function any other way. Episodes drop every other Tuesday. Hope to see you there.